Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Coming to you live, raw, and uncensored from Studio 107. Welcome to the SOL Podcast. Wake up, America, with your host, Drew Baker, Shake and Bake. We're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House! Matt Dixon, the Iron Man. When you're going through hell, keep going. And Kelsey Lee, (laughs) Special K. I'm an extremely stable genius. A podcast dedicated to protecting your rights by exploring the law, politics, and current events. You have the right to remain silent and listen, or call in and become a part of the show. And now, here's your host, Shake and Bake. Welcome to the SOL Podcast. I am your host, the Shake and Bake, and we are finally back in the studio for season five. Nice to have everybody back. And it's incredible to be in a studio that we actually got to design somewhat from the ground up. Got some very nice architecture, big wood beams. We've got brick walls, good sound, and a lot of space, which is been fantastic. Season five, interesting title. Might seem, at least at first, a little backward, maybe. Oxymoron. Oxymoron, counterintuitive. A lot of different things. Emphasis on the moron. Emphasis. Emphasis on backpedaling forward. What are we talking about? Backpedaling forward? Seems like we're going the wrong direction, but the right direction, the wrong... What's happening? The concept is we have so many different things going on right now. I mean, there's years worth of content of what appears to be, or at least is announced to be forward progress. Yet it seems as if in reality, we are going further and further and further behind. I mean, if you look at just funny example, I heard today talking about the economy is kick-ass strong as hell. Oh, okay. All right. I sort of look at, look at it as trying to move forward, but doing it the wrong way in the most inefficient ways, right? You're backpedaling forward. And as an avid cyclist or even a runner, backpedaling in either of those scenarios is extremely inefficient to get you to where you want to go, where you want to be. It just seems like everything we're doing right now is counterintuitive to what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And along with that comes a lot of hypocrisy and we're going to definitely explore different elements of the hypocrisy that we see pretty much daily right now, but there's lots of past examples that we have to go back to and then kind of compare where we're at now. What are people saying today Versus what they were saying a year ago, two years ago. And it's stunning how unbelievably hypocritical these folks are and have uh, continued to become. So, And it's not just necessarily one side or the other side of the aisle. It seems to be just a conglomeration of a lot of different uh, people in government saying one thing, which is a, a time and told it's been around forever. They say one thing, they do something else. But it's almost become... As if we're so stupid, we can't really understand or we won't have the logic to figure out that, wait a minute, didn't you say before it was this way and now it's this and we're just supposed to believe you? Yes. Even though, well, yes, of course. Obviously. But but that is the that is really where we came up with this concept of backpedaling forward. It just It's like we're not getting anywhere, but even worse, we're reverting to old times. The whole reason we were trying to be more progressive and make accomplishments but instead with those progressive actions we've 
found ourselves way back and behind us again. I think it's funny that these politicians don't realize that they're on camera. So with technology, yeah, everything gets recorded. Maybe. We can go back and play the video of you saying the exact opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. Now. And it's not just in politics. You know, some of this is just in everyday life of some of the things that we're adopting, like electric technology and electric cars. And it sounds great on the surface, but there's all these other elements to it that nobody seems to want to talk about that certainly have an impact on whether or not that's a great idea. That's where we came up with the season title and the season theme. In terms of a schedule, now that we're in a real studio, our plan is to always release on Thursday, what the Friday episode is going to be about. And then we'll release that episode at four o'clock on Fridays. Hopefully that gives you a little weekend uh, material to enjoy. And of course, as always, if you have show suggestions, ideas, please send them our way on Facebook or Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is, so that we can incorporate those into the show. But where have we been? What's where have we been for all this time? Because I know it's been a few months. We are three recent graduates of the re-education camp. Right. So I don't even know why you're sitting here talking about hypocrisy. Like that's a thing. You're just clearly reverting back to your old thinking. You need a refresher on some of the things we learned at re-education camp. Well, I kept a little card in my pocket and I review that every time I start to feel any form of triggering or any form of You mean logic? That is a bad word. That too demerit. I think we should censor that word. And I can't believe that you even used it. If I had one of those delay buttons, which we will be getting in the studio, I'm going to, I'm going to cut that out later because that is a bad word. Anyway, back to what I was saying with my little card. And it, I, I like to call it my get progressive card. When I get up in the morning, I read it, I re review it, make sure um, I'm, I'm on the right track for the day. And then anything I did the day before I apologize for and ask for forgiveness. So things are going pretty well ever since our camp. And yeah. I'm excited to teach all of our listeners the things that we learned and yes. what all these new definitions of words mean that we've changed. Right. So today, the topic, nice segue into what we're going to be talking about is how words have changed. The definition of words are changing and they're ever changing, it seems. Um, the Webster's Dictionary is actually very busy. They may have even brought in a new department to redefine words, which I think is on the surface problematic. Perhaps some may argue this is updating the words to current times, similar to how I guess we need to update the constitution to current times. But in any case, they're doing it one way or the other. And what we want to do today is talk about some of those words that were probably more mainstream right now that have been changed that have come up. You might've heard about them, but then we want to parlay that into how does that, uh, the changing of a definition have an impact on a legal case and how would the legal system as a whole change if we started changing the definition of words that we know in terms of the meanings that we believe them to mean today. So that's kind of a transition to where we're headed before we get there. Got to do the dreaded disclaimer. Be right back. Remember, SOL listeners, the views and opinions expressed on this show are meant for entertainment purposes only and are not to be construed as legal advice. There is no way, in any way, we are creating an attorney-client privilege. And I almost forgot to, to ask you about the hat. Did you get your beanie hat at the re-education camp? 
Well, as you know, I spent most of my time at re-education camp in solitary confinement mm. uh, in isolation. Because, Privilege? Uh, no. Mm. He's uh, being ableist. Because I continue oh. to use logic and uh, you know, oh, independent thought. You gotta, I got to get that in there. You're just... I think I misspoke. I think we have two graduates and <laughs> one uh, flunk, flunk out. One yeah. fail out. Yeah, I was thinking flunk out Woo. with that hat on and just all, everything else. I'm just channeling my inner... Rapper, I understand. Now your hat, though, I do like it because it has a logo on it. it. Looks like that could be swag for the SOL podcast. It may or may not be. Well, just just so all the listeners know, we do have swag. If you'd like some swag, hit us up on Facebook. We will see what we can do for you. We got great swag. Yeah, we really do. Yeah, so, we got Bruce repping up. Yeah, up Bruce, out, uh, Bruce has some stuff. Kansas now, so he's got the hat. That's right. You know, my dad wears it in Kentucky, so we're going national. National, national. It's uh, five stars. Kelsey's mom. Gave us five stars, so we're excited about that. She said it's the best podcast she's ever heard. That's right. It's the only one she knows how to access, but it's her favorite. It's her favorite, nonetheless. All right, so let's talk about these words. Uh, Kelsey, I think you did some research on some of the more, I don't know, current trending definition changes, made the news. So tell us about some of these and and how they've uh, altered the definition, and we can talk about them. So the first one is the word racist, racism. I always grew up with the understanding that that meant that you thought that you were inherently better than people based on the color of their skin. Uh, Now it seems colloquially, it means it just you disagree with a person who is a minority. Mm. So even if the merits of what you disagree with them about doesn't have anything to do with the color of your skin, if you have a legitimate criticism of Barack Obama, people just paint you with the brush that you're a racist. But Webster's Dictionary actually did update their definition. of Needed to be updated, I think. And they did at the request of a black lady that lived in Iowa. And she said that she wanted them to add something in about the systematic oppression that occurs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at the time, what was going on in the national conversation was they were trying to create the narrative that only white people can be racist. Mm. So if a black person is criticizing white people and... That's not racist because black people don't have any power in society. I'm not saying that. That is what they say. What if it was an Asian person? Don't white people have all the power? Oh, okay. So Asian is a little bit. uh, Yeah, Asian's a little bit of a gray area because sometimes they do classify Asians as white people. So it just depends on like what narrative they're going with. Got it. Got it. But. So that's why they added in this systemic oppression part of the definition to say that just regular people can't be racist towards white or black people can't be racist towards white people because they don't because have we don't power. have the oppression that they had. Is that, yes, is that, that they the can't concept? they can't okay. do anything to oppress us hmm. now? I think that's interesting and maybe inadvertently might come back to bite them in the ass because the way that I hear that then is me, Kelsey, as just your regular person who has no power over anybody. Even though I'm white, I can't be racist towards anybody. I don't have power over you. But okay. Barack Obama, even though he's black, he's got a lot, or at least had a lot of power over people. I think he so still when, does. Yeah, I think so too. But I think we're not really supposed to talk about that. Okay. If you remember from camp, that's oh. not something you're supposed to acknowledge. That's right. I yeah, forgot. Joe, Joe Biden's in charge. Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking about this. So, but that I just wonder if that is going to kind of flip on them, that they were trying to do it to as another way to demonize white people but really if you think about it that just means regular everyday people can't be racist you have to have some sort of power structure to be racist let me get this straight you had the power 
let's just say as a race, forget white, black, any color. Mm -hmm. No. As a race, you had the power and oppressed others, apparently. But now we're going to flip the script. You can no longer oppress me, but I'm going to oppress you. But you're still the racist and I'm not. I'm taking all the power into my hands. I'm going to oppress you in many ways, but I can't be called racist. Correct. Huh, pretty confusing. See, I think really... they, they are on that one. I think they might have conflated the definitions of racism and oppression try to push their political goals it's just conflated the whole issue and i wonder what effect that might have on like hate crime statutes if now what is considered racist is pretty subjective now if you're just disagreeing with a person of a different race is that now gonna be considered hate speech or hate crime yeah but only for certain races on certain races right. yeah and also remember that we're talking about webster's dictionary just to be clear we're not talking about a legal dictionary which actually right. would have a not necessarily that word, but the words that matter in the law don't necessarily fall under that category or like, I don't think you're going to see, I'm not an expert on hate crimes, but I don't know that the term racist or racism is in a actual statute. It might, I mean, maybe it is. I, I kind of doubt it though. I don't think it would be. They listed um, all the different things that what constitutes. So like, yeah, if you're attacking somebody based on their sexual orientation, their race, their gender, yeah, I, I can yeah, see that. They do list all the things in there. So race, see, is like one of them race, there. but I think you're talking about the actual term race. racism, right? Yes. So, but either way, it's definitely a a word that media is just absolute. Just they're addicted to this <laughs> concept of everyone's a racist, and it, when you paint it that way, then of course that causes a lot of issues, and it puts us behind where we were before. Did you see the coach? And I, I don't know which coach this was a reporter asked him recently. He's, he's African-American ask him if he felt like him being put into a coaching position as an African-American, if that was something that he was, he felt good about in terms of like other, I guess to show other African-Americans, they can become a coach too. I mean, in essence, that was the, the question and his answer was incredible. You, you and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, we don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. That's a good example of let's just create it changed the definition and now we're just adding fuel to the fire of this kind of reverse racism which causes resentment and then maybe the person that is not allowed anymore to say anything because they're not the oppressed group builds resentment against the other group which just continues this never-ending cycle of quote racism under whatever definition in reality all this stuff is a move towards backpedaling forward 
which is nice. Well, I, and I think another, another problem with that is, so, you know, of course you've got your corporate media that, that has their agenda and what they do. But the, I think the back end problem is normal everyday people are getting that from their social media sources. And there may only be three, four, five big ones that pick up what the corporate news media are saying. Oh, yeah. Then they start tweeting, they start posting, they start putting it on all their socials. And so then the younger generation picks that up and then that just becomes the theme. It's the perception, right? And and as long as one or two people are saying it, it's like the masses just follow. And there's after that, what do you do once the perception's built? Yeah, and, and it's it's very much in the younger generation of being indoctrinated into new ideas and definitions. That weren't there before. And with sweeping generalization, <laughs> yeah. right? That are yeah. often completely false or incorrect. Yeah. I'm or that use I... that L word that you said earlier. Don't mm, say it I'm again. not. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to get bleeped yeah. anymore. I was going to say. I'm done being I'm I bleeping, just remember bleep. growing up and being taught that you were supposed to, Martin Luther King, judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. <laughs> Come on. Crazy. Where are you with that? Yeah. So this whole idea that just that by from? the nature of your skin, you're either an oppressor or oppressed. I just yeah. feel like that's very backward. Another one that is completely backwards, but we're moving forward yes. in the process here is a lot of people are familiar with this one, how they've changed the definition of the word woman. Come on, man. Or the complete inability to define the word woman. Yes. And that's yeah. going to have some legal significance considering we now have a Supreme Court justice who doesn't know how to define the word woman. She's not a biologist. Okay. True. Yes. And science is what's important here. But we have the clip of her talking to and the way she justifies her. I'm not a biologist. It's my job is to look at the legal arguments and make interpretations. But how do you yeah, yeah. legally interpret something like Title IX well, let's if have, you can't let's have define a listen. what a woman is? Let's have a listen to that clip. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, People make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I decide. Well, so I'm not. Well, and again, this this flows out to all sorts of non-legal issues mm -hmm. we talk about. I mean, it is legal in terms of, like, Title IX, but even get into, like, outside of college or school-related sports, get into professional sports or amateur sports and things like that, where you're talking about men and women competing against other men and women. And... You know, again, it's this idea of each one of these regulatory bodies can say, here's how we want to treat this issue. And it's whoever's sitting at the table at that particular time. Apparently they can, uh, you know, ascribe any definition to these words that they want. And that could change, by the way. Today they could say, yes, this person can compete with these people. And then mm -hmm. the next group comes in three years later and says, yeah, that was wrong. We're not doing it. I mean, it could be flip flopping back and forth for decades. Who knows? But if we have this fluid idea of what a male or female is i think that's what the result i think that's the problem with having an open definition yeah i'll throw another one at you what about like your right to privacy if you say i'm not comfortable changing around a person that is of the other sex but this person saying i'm a woman did they violate my right to privacy is there a action there i mean i this is where we start to gray 
and blur the lines, which is very dangerous in a system that's set up to not be blurry. It's set up to be codified or put into a statute, which means that every word generally, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but is is defined under the statute. So when you're trying to figure out how are we going to prove something, how we're not going to prove something, whatever it is, how are you going to do that if that definition's changed? That's sort of a, a social construct, right? That's part of our, our contract with each other that, you know, we've got male locker rooms and female locker rooms. Male and, bathrooms and female That's bathrooms. right. And, part and, of the women's rights movement and their fight to have these, like, sex-segregated spaces because of your, your, ta- your toxic masculinity. You're your, backpedaling yeah. forward right now. So, to me, it seems like if you allow people to self-identify as a woman, you what's the point of even having the women? Well, right. And and so, you know, you're talking about a right to privacy and some of these places you're saying, well, you know, it's not private. You're changing in front of 20 people, 30 people, two people, whatever. It shouldn't matter that it's a man or a woman, except for the fact that we've built societally this idea that men change here, women Women change change there. You strip away all the dignity the percentage of people in one of those locker rooms, a very high percentage of those people expect the only gender. the same sex sure. biologically to be in that room, right? And well, so, 10 years ago, if a, if a man went into a woman's locker room, you'd be arrested. You'd be arrested for sure. There is no discussion. You're arrested because yeah. you clearly shouldn't be in there. Well, and we talked about this last season. There was the elderly lady, I think it was at a YMCA, oh, yeah. who just yeah. completely went she off got, on a man. being. Yeah. And she ended up she getting was the bad guy. <laughs> removed from the facility. And, and yeah. you know. It, it was around children, lost. I think, too. And that was. It had to do with a ma- with a um, a I, male counselor, counselor who yeah. identified as female had brought little girls mm-hmm. into the girls locker room to change or go to the bathroom yeah she was upset and made a complaint and she was thrown out you use the word gender in place of sex and that's one of these definitions oh. that have changed is when i grew up i always thought that those two things were synonyms sounds like somebody Wait, else is going by was i supposed to use gender or sex I don't know that part of oh. it. I just know that they're. Different. I didn't know what I did wrong. Yeah, it just sounded like you conflated things, the topic. Yeah, okay. This is gender, that part of the class. Remember when I skipped class that one day? Gender is the societal constructs that are expected of you because of your biological sex. So, like, oh, women like to wear lipstick, you know, wear heels, dresses. They like whatever. Barbies. Yes. Yeah. The stereotypes. And then sex is your biological reality. And. It's people on the left who are the first to tell you that there's a difference in these two words. But then when it comes to things like sports and which locker rooms you're going to go into, all of a sudden those two words mean the exact same thing and there's no difference between them. Hmm. So the whole woman, sex, gender, changing of all of those definitions is ever evolving and they will revert back and forth whenever it suits them. And so you really just need to be on your guard at all time. and. Be prepared right. for whatever argument they're going to make in that scenario. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. So do we have a, another, got another two word? two other examples that I want to talk to you guys about that I think are interesting. The one was when Amy Coney Barrett was become, doing her Supreme Court nomination. Mm-hmm. She used the term sexual preference in the context of you should not discriminate against people based on their sexual preference. And then the next day, the dictionary changed that and labeled the phrase sexual preference as a slur and said the politically correct thing to say is sexual orientation. 
And then the news and everybody jumps on the Supreme Court nominee saying that she is a bigot, a homophobe, because she used this term. So when you change these definitions and retroactively or la- label things as a slur, and then, yeah, you go back and point the finger at something that they did in the past yeah. when that wasn't the definition at the time. It's the same thing with the January 6th. They changed the definition of insurrection, which used to need to have an element of being like a well-organized coup attempt. They took that part out, so now they can go back and charge everybody that was there on January 6th with insurrection. So how well, does that, that work be a real legally? problem to retroactively change a definition you know, within the confines of the law, because that would be the definition that would be used to either convict you or if it's a civil case, determine liability and then come back after the fact, be like, we changed it. Well, that would be nice. I mean, there's cases I wish we could change certain words to make it easier to prove the case. At the time the act was committed, it wasn't a slur or it wasn't an insurrection. All right, what else do we have? Anything, any other words that you want to bring up? Just the last one that I thought about last night. I was thinking back to our episode with um, Chris Rock and Will Smith. Loved and it. the slap. <laughs> oh, wow. At ed- re-education camp, uh, Professor AOC told me that she knows. words are violence now. So if uh, you criticize somebody, obviously. if you criticize her, in fact, I think the specific example was when that Elon Omar said about 9-11, like, oh, some people did something. And then conservative news outlets went nuts over what she said. AOC said that criticism of her was violence. Your story has become tiresome. Mm. So if you criticize a politician, you're committing violence against them now. So that made Did me they think change about, the word violence. Has that been not by altered the di- in the dictionary? No, this is just something Professor AOC has said. Okay. It has not been changed yet, but we're working on it. But that just reminded me of the Chris Rock and Will Smith thing, because in that sense... Chris Rock committed violence by insulting Will's wife. So really, when Will so Smith he was just him, enacting self-defense at exactly. that point because he felt like he was in fear of great bodily harm or death. Yeah, by that word. Yeah, I thought there was this like sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's over. Okay, that's all right. That's been canceled. All right. So those are all the current words that. I've noticed that they've started to change the definitions of and sort of the effects that it's having on public discourse, which is making it really hard to have intelligent debates and discussions with people. Well, I, I think they would prefer you not to have any debates. I think that's exactly Just the You point also used a word with an I that I don't like, intelligent. <laughs> it's very close to that L word. That Matt was using That's getting a little bit ableist, mm-hmm. too. I'd like so. for you to tone that down. Well, let's talk about my biggest concern as a lawyer, and I'm sure Matt's as well. How does this impact, as a general rule, what has to be done in a case, whether it's criminal or civil? How is a changing of a word or a definition of a word have a substantial impact, potentially, on a particular case? So I think it's got you got to go back to the roots and the basics of how the law works and We've talked about burden of proof before. We've had it in a criminal context and in a civil context. Burden of proof in a criminal context, beyond a reasonable doubt, the highest burden of proof. And then in a civil context, more likely than not. But when we talk about burden of proof, that's like the goal line. That's where everybody's trying to get to. If you can reach the burden of proof, then you win. If you can't get there in either type of case, and I'm saying win for the prosecution here, obviously, if you're the defendant in a criminal case, 
you prefer them not get to the goal line because that means you won and you're not going to jail. But in a civil context, obviously, and then as viewed by the state, they'd like to see make the burden of proof goal line you win. Well, how do you get to that burden of proof goal line? That's broken down in a series of what we call elements under the law. So there's different elements that have to be proven for different types of either crimes or civil actions. And they're defined, there's something called common law. Many of those are common law, meaning they've been around forever. It's always been the idea that these are the things that have to be proved. And then there's something called statutory law, which is where you're actually looking at the law as it's written down and codified. In our case, the higher revised code or at the federal level, like the code of regulations. But those are things that have all been written down and have been codified. Say what? Is the fancy word through the legislative process. So that's how these elements show up if it's in the books, so to speak. And if it's not in the books, it's a common law element. So I'll just give you a quick example under like an injury case. We have to prove negligence of another person. We've got to show these elements. We have to, each one of those have to be pled in the complaint. So we have to say in the complaint, these things happen. And then we have to prove every one of those. And if we only prove four or five or three a five, we're not going to make it to the goal line. So duty, breach, causation, proximate cause, and damages. That's an example of the five elements required by the law to prove negligence. You say, well, Drew, how do I know what, what those things are? Well, many times if it's codified, meaning it's in the law books, you can go to what's called a definition section. And the words other than maybe like the pronouns and things like that, the actual words that of substance are going to be defined within the definition section. And when I read a statute, that's where I start because that's the most important thing. What does the word mean before I can put it into the, the set of words and sentences and paragraphs to understand what it is I have to prove as a lawyer? So what if we change those words? What if all of a sudden the term duty and I know you're all in your head going, duty, duty. But what if the term duty does change? And for some reason, it, it, it's a tough word for somebody. They feel like that's just too much responsibility. And it's kind of a harsh word. And I don't want to use that word anymore. Or I want to change that word to lessen what it means, which the duty is the duty we all have. We have you know certain duties as defined under the law. And if we change that word to mean something else, Now, what is the ultimate impact? Like what happens to the plaintiff's case? If I'm the plaintiff's lawyer, I don't have just the element duty to prove. I now have to prove duty. And what is the definition as I'm using it? I'm adding a sub element. When I say that term, you know what I mean. You brought something up that could get very interesting in that respect. Jury questions. Yeah. I forget the official name. When we're doing voir dire. We ask people questions, and generally the questions are something like in an injury case. Uh, I might ask a question of like, ladies and gentlemen, anybody here think that if somebody gets a million dollars for getting hurt, raise your hand if you think that's just a ridiculous amount of money. And the reason I'm asking that question is I want to know, do people think that there should be some kind of cap on the amount of money that a person should get when they're injured and on their compensation? That's a reasonable question. And that's how we decide which jury members we get to get rid of some of them. And that's the process. Okay. But what if I had to ask the question, ladies and gentlemen, who here thinks duty means this? Or if you don't, what do you think it means? There are four different 
thoughts on what duty is because we've changed the definition three times. Now I've got a whole different set of issues I've got to deal with and work through on one element that I would have never had before. And that just kind of tears the foundational walls down of why we've set up a system that has elements that have to be proven. And those elements are defined by specific words and they have to be proven to get to the goal line. So as a long rendition, hopefully that curiosity, is there a set number of questions that you as the attorneys are allowed to ask potential members of the jury? Like you get it all depends on the judge. Okay. It, it really does. There's that judge, states there's, that have to eat up. Like if you only have ten questions, for yeah. example, and you got to spend six of them asking them to well, define, you know, different words. I think if they're relevant, you know, the judge is going to allow it. If if they're really relevant to the case and material to the case, I don't see them like, well, limiting that ability. But if you're going on for hours about nonsense, it's sort of unrelated and you know very tangential. It, maybe it absolutely depends on the judge thousand percent. There's judges that will give you a specified time. Each side gets 30 minutes to conduct four deer. Some judges will just kind of let you go until they feel like, all right, I think there's been enough here. Some judges will ask the questions. They have the ability and the, they're absolutely allowed under the law to ask the jurors questions themselves. Some, of the them, judge some judges like actually conduct somebody. their own voir dire and I've never been involved with this, but oh. the judges conduct their own voir dire and don't even allow the lawyers to do it. Interesting. So it's very dependent. There's a lot of discretion in the court and, and how Vordier operates, how long, all those things. But to your point, if you're very limited, if the judge says, we're only going to give you 30 minutes, now you've got an issue because you were hoping to get all of your standard element related questions to the jurors to figure out which one's going to be more favorable to your cause. And now you're spending most of your time trying to sort out what do you think this word means? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and so if we if we go down the rabbit hole a little further, of course, you've got statutes. You know, you have the codification of these laws, words, definitions, and other things. But you also have over 100 years of case law. Okay, so that's not codified. It's judges, you know, common law on the bench for certain items. And... In, in those decisions, and even decisions on, on codified law, they parse out specific definitions of words. They talk about grammatical issues. Here's a comma. What does a comma mean? Why is it placed where it's placed? Can you imagine changing the definition of a word within you know, something that's been looked at for 100 years, and it's something that they parsed word for word for word over 100 years, and even where the placement of the commas or the periods are in this definition— now you're changing a fundamental word involved in that? Well, and there I mean, is a counter argument to this. That's a good point because it brings up something. I mean, the courts are there. The purpose of the courts is to determine and evaluate the substance of the legislation which has been codified. So if we define a word inside of a statute and that, you know, the judge is making a, a determination as to whether the trial court, for example, interpreted that correctly, then they are going back to the definition sections. Many of the cases I read, that's all it's, most of it is about the definition of a particular word. How is the court right or wrong underneath the appellate court in determining and say, all right, well, what does it mean? Does it mean what the trial court thought it meant or does it mean something different? 
because that's the job of the court. But going back to like the jury example, now the court might have to be like, geez, you know, before we thought it meant this and we were going to apply the law in that way. But now there's like multiple definitions going on here. Like, which one do we apply? It makes it even more complicated and breaks down what is essentially a, a very thorough system in doing an analysis as to what the legislature meant. When well, as an attorney in advising your clients ahead of time and even preparing for yeah. things and, uh, you know, on we should spot. be prepared that this definition. Yeah, right. You have to be prepared that the definitions in front of you may change. What the hell? At a moment's notice. So, you know, you've you you've got, again, hundreds, if not you know dozens, if not 100 plus years of case law on certain items. And you just have to throw it in the air and say, I don't know how today's going to go. I don't know how we plan for tomorrow because I'm not sure how this word's going to be interpreted if this ever comes up. Yeah. And there's definitely cases that when you look at the basic elements, there's a lot of uh, substance underneath an element that has to be proved. I mean, like, for example, like in a slip and fall case, maybe you, you can say, okay, well, the duty is on the business owner to ensure that it's a reasonably safe environment. But what happens when it's purportedly reasonably safe, but they didn't have a sign, a, a warning sign of an issue they may or may not have known of. So there's all these other kind of little sub elements underneath. And that's when the court generally steps in and says, well, we're going to make an analysis of whether that person should have known that that was there. Was it open and obvious, you know, or was it a hidden latent defect? Those are things that they interpret, but words like latent defect, that's a very important term under the law. And they're going to use that in the way that we all as lawyers know what latent defect means. But if you change it, now what are we going to do? Like who, who's going to be able to know uh, how that court's going to interpret it? Because maybe they just don't think that word is nice or they, they've changed this, the, the overall substance of the word. It's a real threat. I mean, and we joke about all this stuff because let's just be honest. Some of us, some of it is just ridiculous, nothing short of ridiculous and just a real pollution to society. I think when we start moving words around and pretending like things don't mean what they do to fit an agenda. But I think the bigger threat is what it could do to the legal system as a whole, because now you've changed the foundation of everything that we built our legal system on, which is order. And how do you have order when you don't have definitions that mean one thing when they mean it today and they'll mean it tomorrow? Yeah, oh. that the rule of law, you're supposed to apply the law the same way yes. across the board to everybody. And then so if the people on this part of the country think that these words mean one thing, but people in the middle of the country think it means something else, yeah. then you're not applying the law fairly across the country. Know your rights. You have a huge mess. You really yeah. do. And that's why it's such a threat to the legal system, I think, to allow this to continue in a way that, I mean, there's always going to be, as a society, we move forward, things do change. There is, there, there may be different additions I think sometimes to words that we use, I mean, I think of a lot of words that we use that are goofy words like chilling. Yeah. Well, chilling, what does chilling mean? Chilling, chilling means like it's cold. <laughs> you know, I'm chilling my food so it doesn't go bad. Of course, we use it as I'm just hanging, I'm just yeah. chilling, you know, and things will change like that over time. That's different than some of these words that clearly have more significance in society and are being used as a way to as shut an agenda. down conversation and yeah, weaponize yeah. against their political opponents. Yeah. So it's a really interesting concept. And it, it, it's something that as an attorney, it scares me as to what could happen. And if it does interject itself into the legal environment and into the system as a whole, it's cancer. 
it's cancer on what we've built. And we got to be very careful about how much we allow words to change or we're going to wind up like um, Tower of Babylon where everybody didn't know anybody else's language anymore and we all had to go our separate ways, I guess, if you... Yeah, and so. to kind of put it into that like bigger historical context, like language is what unites people in society. You all have these common words and definitions. That's how you communicate with each other. That's how we understand each other. <laughs> when you start messing with that, then that just helps the divide and conquer mentality is that people don't have any cohesive understanding of how to communicate with each other. Yeah. There's also that book, Rules for Radicals, by Saul Alinsky, which is basically like the steps that you would take to overthrow a society or institute Marxism. And one of his rules, which they also talk about in uh, George Orwell's 1984, is that like he who controls the language controls the masses. So when you have the ability to change these definitions and dictate the way that people talk at your whim, you have a lot of power over society. And generally, historically speaking, the people that aim to do that do not have good intentions behind it. I can't imagine that that's oh. true, but okay, whatever you say. Yeah, don't whatever tell Professor say. AOC. I, I said that I don't want to go to re-education detention. That's but. right. Well, in closing, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Backpedaling Forward. And hopefully this is a good way to categorize and, and explain what our, our thoughts are moving forward and why we chose this theme. I hope that this, this content today better defines that, you know, so that it makes sense that we're looking at things that just are obviously done in the name of progress, but clearly are not putting us in better positions. And I hope we go a little beyond just complaining about the hypocrisy, but actually pointing out how that hypocrisy is going to have real effects on society and or the legal system. And just too. how ridiculously dumb most of it is. It's difficult for my mind to digest how anyone could think any differently than I'm thinking. And I'm not trying to be a narcissist about it, but I'm just saying it, it's so illogical. Oops. Sorry. I mean, he's over. Well, but you used illogical. Is that okay? Mm, you can use that. In the context, I think he... Okay. Committed yeah. a hate crime. Strong. I, <laughs> I feel <laughs> if I went that far, but um, it's so complicated in my mind to understand how someone could think any differently about some of these things. When we have our call in shows, I want you to call in. You can call me whatever names you want, but call in and tell me why my mind doesn't see it that way or can't process it because. I really don't understand how it's possible many a times. I'll be persuaded by a better argument. I just yeah. don't think they're making one. Many times it's a redirect. It, it really is. It's, hey, I'm going to make this argument. This doesn't make sense. And then we're talking about something that has nothing to do with what I just asked you about. But it's the only ammunition available, so you grab it and you shoot it. So I didn't mean to use the shoot word, too. Jeez, I, we better go, get off soon because I'm yeah. starting to break out a lot of words that are not appropriate. We don't want to limit this by any means to just one side of the political aisle. I think there's plenty of ammunition on the right as much as there's the left of this kind of garbage going on or the hypocrisy saying one thing and then flipping over to the other side and what that impact has on progress. Or what negative impact, probably more like it has in progress. So so that's where we're at. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all of the main podcast forums that are out there. Until next time, be safe. Uh, call the Baker Law Group. That's where we're broadcasting from here at Studio 89. If you have any legal concerns, we do injury 
some defense, uh, but primarily personal injury law and other related civil matters, feel free to call in 614-228-1882. Even if we don't do what you might need, we can get you to somebody that we trust that can help you out. So until next time, this is the Shake and Bake signing off of the SOL podcast. See you later, guys. Thank you for listening to SOL. Join us next time on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and iTunes. For additional information or questions related to your legal matter, contact the Baker Law Group at 614-228-1882. That's 614-228-1882. Be safe, know your rights, and follow the law. This podcast is adjourned.